Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. Thank you for, uh, for being with us. Uh, my name's Tim Mycock. Um, I'm head of prison ministry um, at the Message Trust. Um, I've been involved uh, in prison work now for around 15 years. Um, spent time working in a number of different prisons around the northwest of England, um, both in bang-up jails in category B and C establishments. Uh, and then I got my cat D. I got my open uh, prison um, uh, about seven years ago, um, seven, eight years ago now. Uh, and was released uh, around 15 year, around 15 months ago. Sorry, um, and uh, so I now oversee the work. Um, and Becky, um, my colleague at the back, uh, took over the work at HMP Thorncross um, uh, about 15 months ago, uh, which allowed me to focus on um, growing the ministry, um, but also training and equipping. Um, the rest of the team. So I've kind of spent time uh, working behind bars for, for quite a long time. And then, as I say, about 15 months ago, um, I was released. I got my parole, if you like, and, uh, and, and began to focus more on the work in the community. Uh, and this is my colleague, um, Sarah Belcher, who is um, assistant hub leader um, for Yorkshire and Lincolnshire, one of our, our message hubs uh, on the other side of the Pennines. Um, and I'll just let Sarah introduce herself and um, some of her background for you. Okay, hi, welcome, thanks for coming. Um, so I, in uh, about 2003, started working in a prison in Lincolnshire, a, a local Cat B prison, and um, started working, um, helping people to try and find employment and running courses and that sort of thing in there, worked in probation a bit. And then um, our resettlement team started growing and growing and um, ended up being resettlement manager. That's a really long story short. Um, but our team helped with children and families and, and debt and finance and employment and training and education and housing people when um, they were released. And um, then also um, latterly ended up um, working with families of those coming to visit men in prison and um, in a, we piloted a, um, a project in court um, as well and um, looked after people who were coming out. They came out through our centre rather than through the gate. So if you want to know any more about that, ask me another time. Um, it was great fun and I, I loved it. So I did that for about 14 years. Um, we were originally, actually myself and my husband, when we first got married at the tender age of 18, involved in the first Eden team in Manchester. And so um, this was home for a while. And, uh, and then we were involved in the second one. And then God called us back to Lincolnshire. Um, but then it called me back to the message. And um, part of my role is I'm, I'm the lead for um, prisons for our Yorkshire and Lincolnshire hub. So we're just starting to see things develop. Um, which is exciting in the um, prisons in our region with Tim's help, which is great. And you had uh, an event just last Sunday in one yeah. of your prisons. Yeah. You just tell us briefly about what happened there. Okay. Um, so one of our um, mission teams, um, or bands, depending what you want to call them, um, Vital Signs, came into one of the prisons, um, deliberately not saying through the microphone which prisons these are, but um, it was amazing. There's a great um, chaplain in there. He's really on fire, loves Jesus and really wants to let all the other guys know about it. And um, we, the mix of him and um, Nick Shalavi from Vital Signs was just amazing. And um, we saw about 50 men, uh, like we did in another prison a few months before, actually, in the chapel, and um, with Vital Signs again. And um, when people hear Nick's story, it's just brilliant because they hear how he 
um, how God just radically transformed his life, like you've been hearing from the stage again this morning, similar stories. And um, so some of them already knew Jesus, but some of them didn't. And um, the large majority responded to the gospel again, like they did in another prison we were in. John at the back was with me at that point. Uh, so he knows what went on. But um, just amazing to see people decide to follow Jesus. But we deliberately are in places where we know that people are going to become disciples, not just make decisions. So in all our work across the hubs, whether it's schools, prisons, in, in tough areas, um, etc., we always make sure that where people are likely to make decisions, because thank God they do, that we're actually able to disciple. So and we had teams on standby, you know, for... Alpha and, and courses that these guys run and um, the chaplaincy are great in both the prisons that I've just been talking about. So they're ready to, and they've already been feeding back stories of how um, the men have been talking to other people on the wings about, about Jesus, which is incredible. So do keep praying for them. Uh, shall we open in prayer and, uh, and then we'll, we'll move through um, some of the things that, that we've got in mind. Uh, I'll, I'll just pray. Uh, Father God, thank you um, for this opportunity for us to gather today. Uh, to explore more of who you are, more of what you're calling us into, and more of how you would use us to transform the world around us. Lord, we pray for our prisons. We pray for prisoners. We pray for their families, their victims. We pray for prison staff and prison chaplains particularly, mm. who care for and support those in custody. Lord, we commend each one into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we thought a good place to start would be the Bible. Not just because we think we ought to, but because we think it's a great place to start. So um, we're just wondering where are prisons, well, well we, we know, but prisons and prisoners mentioned in the Bible. Do you want to just call out a few? Pardon? Paul's letters, yeah. Well, that covers a lot of it, doesn't it? That's, that's great. Specifically in Paul's letters, anybody? Just repeating it for the recording. Philippian jail. Philippian jail. Brilliant. Jesus' mission statement. Good point. Isaiah 61. Repeated. Joseph. Good point. Old Testament. Yeah. He spent a lot of time in prison, didn't he, that man? Yeah. Matthew 25. Matthew 24 from the back of the leaflet. Brilliant. Very observant. That's great. Yeah. Acts. Acts 16, that's right. There's a surprising amount, actually, isn't there? And as Tim pointed out to me, Jesus was captive for three days, wasn't he? We're not, we don't think so he went to... Jesus himself <laughs> was on death row, if you think about it. Um, you know, prisoners feature all through scripture, from, from Joseph, um, imprisoned by Potiphar, right the way through to, uh, to John, exiled um, on the island of Patmos, and you've got Jesus there in the middle of it all, actually on death row serving time oh, I know it's a different way, way to think about it isn't it and um, you know the message we talk about the last the least and the lost and we are totally biased but then the scriptures are totally biased and we believe Jesus is totally biased and we totally believe that that you know from Isaiah 61 like you say is sort of manifesto um, we believe that's where Jesus would be and where his heart is as well so yeah, Matthew 25, 36, just in case anyone can't see that. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. He deliberately mentions it. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated since you are also are in the body. Hebrews 13, 3. And so prison for us is not an optional extra. 
It's a biblical mandate. Yeah. It's not a, if you feel like it, it's, you need to be concerned about those in prison. And uh, I want to introduce to you in just a moment um, somebody who is, um, who is currently in prison, currently serving time. For those of you who are listening to the recording, I'm afraid you're not going to be able to hear the next couple of minutes um, just because of confidentiality and security, um, but you will rejoin us shortly. We're actually going to have a little bit of a quiz. It's quite an interactive seminar, this one. Um, just to get us thinking a bit... Of, sorry if you already know loads about um, prison, but we're guessing that some of you don't, so it'd be great to just um, improve our knowledge a little bit if we don't already. So, um, would you like... Do you guys mind? John and Becky. Being beautiful assistants and passing those around. Thank you. And some pens. Thank you. Um, you can do it in pairs, groups... Um, just give you a few minutes to answer, there's not too many questions, and then we will see what the answers are. Just a few minutes. Thank you. Okay, don't worry if you haven't quite finished, but we've got an action-packed bit of time, haven't we, coming up, so we need to move on. So, let's just go for people sticking their hands up and making a wild guess, because that's fun. Okay. So, who wants to go first? Who wants to have a go at how many people were sent to prison in 2017? Sir? 5,000. Cool. Any? 80. 80 people or 80,000? Okay, it was actually 65,000. Anyone get that right? Sorry, I should say that these stats are taken from the Prison Reform Trust, and this is just for England and Wales. And this was summer 2018, these stats came out. So that's why they're for 2017. 65,000 people sent to prison in 2017, according to the Prison Reform Trust. Okay, number two, what's the fastest growing age group in the prison population? I must admit, this surprised me. Oh, you're both right. It's age, six, age 60 over. We're not going to go into all that now, but I think um, the media makes that quite clear, doesn't it? I think. It didn't used to be. It used to be early 20s. Okay. Number three. What percentage of the total prison population are women? 7%? 35, 30? Did you just say 41%? It's, it's 5%. 5%, ladies. 5%. Officially, as of yesterday, it was 4.7, if you want it really detailed. <laughs> yes. Let's be accurate. 4.7% yesterday. It's doubled since 1993, interestingly. Okay, number four. What percentage of the prison population are young adults? And that's 18 to 24. I wish it was a bit older than that, but it's not. 18 to 24. 50%, you reckon? I thought it was more like that. It's not, sorry. 60%? No. 40 No, it's 17, guys. I know, again, that really surprised me. So I double-checked it. No, it doesn't feel like it. No, I agree. Okay, what percentage of those reconvicted within a year of release? I must admit, I've seen lots of different stats for this, but I'm going from the prison reformers. This is just, this is just um, across all the age groups. 
It's 48%. I must admit that just a few years ago we were talking a lot higher than that, so I don't know if that's conservative, but that's what they say. Yeah, just a little note on that figure. <laughs> um, the, the figures vary according to yeah. age groups, so that's the average yeah. across all the age groups. But basically, the younger you are, the more likely you are to reoffend. Mm -hmm. If you're from a black and minority ethnic group, you're more likely to reoffend statistically. Um, and uh, you know, there's a whole stack of reasons actually um, why certain groups may reoffend, and, um, and and that's not okay. You know, it's not okay that services aren't being provided equally mm. across the board, um, and that's part of it. The highest risk age group for reoffending is 18 to 24. Um, it is those young adults um, that we focus our work on. Which is good. What percentage of those released from prison had a job to go to? 45? 27. Goes to the guy in the red and the black. 27%. Okay. All right. So, but that's good, it's over a quarter, you know, on a positive note. Okay, last but not least, many people begin to explore faith while serving a prison sentence. How many people made a response to the gospel through message in prisons last year? That's 2017 to 2018. Oh, oh it's not a percentage this time, is it? It's not a percentage. Just how many? If anybody's been there at message prayer day... Um, you, I remember you, you, being you may know the exact answer, but for anyone else, it's a guess. I remember being delighted by the figure. 300. Tim? Um, so in the year to the end of August um, last year, um, working across um, five establishments in the northwest, um, we saw 622 individuals make a response to the gospel. Praise Jesus something to be grateful for isn't it so do keep um, praying for those guys that they go on with their walk in Jesus and are disciples but we're delighted by that so thank you but well done guys hope that's a bit of an eye-opener stats do change all the time but those are what we had um, from the prison reform trust and we do get information from them don't we so it's interesting isn't it the different um, surprises in there but that'll give you some sort of idea but I like the last figure best that was really good Thanks, Tim. Yeah, we, we have seen a bit of an ageing population in prison in the last uh, few years, and that's been caused by, um, by a couple of different factors, but actually one of them is, um, is the massive rise in reporting of historical yeah. sexual abuse. Yeah. Uh, that's the, the, the main reason in, um, in the ageing prison population. But actually, we're also seeing less young people go to prison, which is a good thing. It's a really good thing. And we're seeing less young people um, being, uh, you know, being reconvicted and, and going back through the doors, although they are still the highest group. So um, at The Message, we, um, we've been working in prisons now for around 15 years, um, as I said earlier. And uh, in each establishment that we work in, we go on a journey um, with, uh, with the guys and girls um, that are there. Um, and that journey um, starts with us first meeting somebody and that might be they come to a chapel service on a Sunday and, uh, and they, they uh, meet us there and hear the gospel. Um, in every prison there is a Sunday service in chapel run by the chaplaincy and we go in once a month uh, to help support that, um, that work. Um, we run regular outreach events, you heard about one a few minutes ago, um, with some of our creative arts teams. We also run a course called Peacemakers, uh, which does what it says on the tin. 
um, based on a Matthew 5 principle of blessed are the peacemakers and uses a number of biblical examples um, to uh, consider anger and anger triggers and um, the, the, the roots and the fruits of our anger and actually how we can rebuild some of those burnt bridges. We also meet people out on the prison wings where a youth worker will, um, will go and spend time in the community meeting young people where, wherever they happen to be hanging out, whether it's a, a, at the park, outside the off-licence. Um, our workers and volunteers will go and spend time on the prison wings um, during an evening uh, meeting people on their turf, not expecting people to come to church. We're going to go to them and we're going to get to know people. No agenda other than trying to get to know different people. We run a self-esteem course um, in one of the women's prisons um, and we've, uh, we've had the privilege of journeying with a number of ladies who are on the suicide and self-harm prevention scheme and actually see them come off that scheme um, and really begin to um, feel better about who they are but also then they've begun to want to know more about who God says they are which is a really exciting journey. Uh, so we meet people in a whole variety of, of different ways um, and we take them on to um, being able to explore what faith might mean for them, the Christian faith might mean for them. We work in a multi-faith setting, um, but we are out and out uh, Christians, as, as you know from the message. And, um, and so we use a variety of tools to explore the Christian faith. The Alpha Course, um, Christianity Explored, uh, Four Points, um, four points is a great little tool um, to share the gospel um, and it, it's, it's just four little logos and four individual points you probably come across it um, and it just says that God loves me I've made mistakes or I've sinned Jesus died and rose again and I've got a decision to make so it's just a really easy way of sharing the gospel in four sessions. And we use that in prisons where the turnover of prisoners is a bit higher, maybe because it's a remand centre or something like that. Um, and then we take people into, um, I suppose if it was a church, you'd probably call it a cell group. But this is a prison and a cell something different. Okay. So, um, so we, we, run, uh, we call them discipleship groups or Bible study groups in the prison. It's worship. It's prayer, it's reading the word, but it's not just being spoon-fed the word, it's learning how to read the word. It's learning how to read it, to wrestle with it, to apply it to your own life, here in jail, but also um, with life on the out. And it's from there that we then move into the resettlement phase. Uh, for all those that are in our groups, um, we, we seek to link, link each one with a local church for support, for mentoring, for discipleship, for a place to belong in order that they can continue on their journey with Jesus. Um, for those who have been released to the Manchester area, um, we have uh, the Message Enterprise Centre with a number of businesses providing employment and training through an apprenticeship scheme. And at the heart of that um, is not work. Yes, it includes work, but at the heart of that actually is discipleship and mentoring and accountability and Christian community. Um, and it's, it's great that um, you know, we can see somebody in custody one week and then next week they stood next to us in morning prayers um, at the message. And that's, that's just a beautiful thing. that We've become, we, we started to get used to that, um, but it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, and for those perhaps who need a bit of additional support, um, we've got a, a project called The Oaks. It's an eight-bed supported housing project with living house parents, Simon and Jane, doing an amazing job um, uh, looking after the guys there and really become like mum and dad. 
um, to the guys that, that live in the Oaks. And that's intensive discipleship stuff, looking at various life skills. Um, there's morning prayer and Bible study every morning at, I think it's 7.30 in the morning. It's hardcore. Um, 7.15. Um, it's even earlier. Um, and, and so there's a variety of different options. We, um, we're planning to open before too long 34 Neal Street, down near Covent Garden, um, which will be um, our coffee house um, again, employing ex-offenders down in the London area. And so there's this journey that um, each individual goes on. And it's up to them how much of that journey um, they want to be involved with, really. It's up to them how much uh, they want to engage with the various programmes that are available to them. But we've seen uh, a number of... Well, we've seen lots, so many people come through. Um, there's a, a young guy who now pastors a church, um, a, one of the biggest churches in Hull, and he was released... Um, back in 2009. Um, there's a gentleman who, um, who came through, he came, became a Christian on Alpha um, in, in the prison chapel and uh, joined our discipleship group and when he got out he had nobody. Um, there was nobody to meet him, uh, there was nobody to welcome him back to society. Uh, each member of his family had turned their back on him. And so when he was released from the prison, there was nobody waiting at the gate to say welcome back, we've missed you. And so I had the privilege of sitting in my car outside the prison gate, waiting for him to come out. And, uh, and he walked across the road with all his worldly belongings in two bin liners, and he put me in my car boot, and the first thing he said to me was, Tim, can I give you a hug? Because at that moment in time, I was the most important person in his life, which is an amazing honour and privilege, but it's also incredibly sad. Um, and, you know, that's, that's not everybody who's in that situation. Um, you know, many people are coming out with, with family support, but, um, but for him, there was no family support. Uh, so we picked him up from the gate. Uh, we took him off to a new city. He was having to relocate. And we took him off to a new city um, where he moved into a house with a couple of other ex-offenders that had been arranged by the, um, by the probation service. And, um, and uh, we did some shopping on the way. Um, helped him to not buy far too much shower gel. In prison, there's, um, there's a, it's a cashless society. You don't, you, know, you don't have money with you. And so one way that people will try and um, buy and sell and trade is using shower gel, tobacco, pretty much anything, tins of tuna. Um, you know, there's all sorts of stuff that will be used um, as currency in prison. And he got out and uh, he wanted to line his windowsill with shower gels because that's what he'd been doing through his sentence. Uh, and I was trying to tell him, no, you need one. Um, buy, you can buy a second one when, you, when your benefits come through. We went and had lunch with a mentor from church. Uh, and that church took him in and they loved him and they cared for him. Uh, there was a couple of people in the church who knew his story, but not everybody by any means. And, uh, and 12 months on, after he'd been given opportunities to serve uh, by giving the books out, by brewing up at the end of the service uh, and that sort of thing, he decided he wanted to be baptised. And so he was baptised by full immersion at that church. And there he shared his testimony where many of the congregation found out for the first time that he'd been in prison. And actually, they'd got to know him for who he was. They'd got to know him and love him um, and appreciate his gifts and skills and talents. And, uh, and they were surprised at his story, but also mightily blessed by it. He now runs a homeless outreach project, coordinates volunteers from across a number of churches, and he's making a real difference in his city. 
That's the power of Jesus. And I'm so excited um, at what our friend shared earlier um, of, of his hopes and dreams for the future. Because who knows? Who knows what God's going to do with a transformed life? And it's all part of this journey. We thought we'd move on just by looking at a few different uh, sort of myths, really. Um, uh, some of you will have seen the, the TV programme Mythbusters and we thought we might uh, try and look at a few different thoughts and phrases that actually we've heard people talking about. Uh, I shared the story just then uh, about the guy who'd got out and had to relocate and for, for him, um, church was the lifeline. They became his new family. But often we hear people say, our church couldn't work with ex-offenders. Um, we're too old. We're too traditional. We're too whatever. Um, and it's simply not true. Because there are people being released from prison who want lively evangelical churches, who want traditional reflective churches, who want quiet space, who want noise. Um, the the space for every church to be involved in this. I think the main qualification is love. Um, are you prepared to love whoever walks through your church door? Because they may be an ex-offender. They may be a current offender. They might be an ex-addict. They might be a current addict. They might be none of those things. But they're still God's children and we're called to love. And actually the churches that, that do this best, there's a piece of research has been done by the um, Institute of Criminology um, at University of Cambridge. And, and where resettlement in church works best, where this Christian discipleship takes place most effectively, is not where the church sees an individual as a project, but where the church values an individual as an asset where a church starts to go, how can I help you? It's far less effective than when the church goes, how can you be a part of, you know, come and join us. And actually that individual has a much bigger impact on the church around them than the church does on them. But it's a shift in our thinking away from what can I do to help you and instead come and be part of the family. So any church actually can be involved. And um, one way in which your church can be involved, um, if you're in the London area, there's an amazing project called Caring for Ex-Offenders. Um, it's a database of churches. They offer free training um, in, in mentoring and all that sort of stuff. Um, I'd encourage you, if you from the London area to get in touch with Caring for Ex-Offenders. Um, for all other areas, there's um, a network called the Welcome Directory. Um, it's an online database of churches and other places of worship, actually, that just says, you are welcome. Whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, you are welcome. And so if your church isn't on there and you are up for welcoming people, please head to the Welcome Directory's website. Get yourself registered on there um, as a place of welcome. Myth busted. <laughs> So, second myth, a prisoner cannot be released without suitable accommodation. Um, unfortunately, it's not true. And, um, you know, our, when I was a resettlement manager, we did our very, very best, and our team did a great job, actually, but sometimes it just wasn't possible. And, but it's surprising how many people have said to me, oh, but 
they can't come out homeless. Unfortunately, yes, they can. And um, each prison, they should have a resettlement team. They vary in size and capability and strengths. <laughs> um, but um, everyone who comes in now will be screened um, as to what their needs are. Um, and different prisons deal with that differently, but there is sort of a, a national way of doing it as well. So with, within the prison, there'll be different people helping, sometimes um, different bits of funding, so there'll be extra teams um, coming to help. Um, but the chaplaincy um, sometimes get involved with the people who, who um, they come across as well in helping. And then we have wonderful people like um, our, our um, teams in the prisoners as well. Um, but um, to put it politely, sometimes there isn't the help that's needed. And other times, people get absolutely loads of help and it's absolutely brilliant. So unfortunately, it depends a little bit where you are. Um, also, just to bear in mind, is um, there's another side to the story and sometimes people have been banned from multiple places and actually that's why teams can't find them housing because they have been banned uh, for various different reasons and it's really, really difficult and sometimes the only option is that... Um, they move away, but then if they move away, this is a whole other seminar in itself, but then the councils won't accept that they have a local connection if they're not in their local place and they don't have a connection in one way or another to another place. So it, it's not quite as simple as just moving to another place sometimes if you um, don't have somewhere to live. And it can, so suitable accommodation is one of the biggest factors in reducing reoffending, um, and yet it's a, it's a massive problem and it can be a vicious circle. And I've met many a person who has deliberately offended to come back into prison um, because they want somewhere to, to sleep and somewhere warm and, and regular meals. But on a positive note, there's, there's, some, there's loads of charities, aren't there, that we come across who really help people and the people are doing their best. Um, but unfortunately, it's, it happens. Okay. If you um, or your church is interested in getting involved in providing housing support um, to, uh, to ex-offenders um, or to, uh, to the homeless um, and you're interested in sort of buying a house to do that with and managing a house, um, I would recommend to you Green Pastures um, as another organisation to get in contact with. They will help you to buy and manage that property and share all sorts of wisdom with you. Um, so if you're interested in housing ex-offenders, then Green Pastures, I would recommend to you. Our next myth. Prisoners are given money upon release to provide for their needs. Not all of them. Um, the vast majority of prisoners upon release do receive a discharge grant. Um, those of you who um, have served time or are serving time, please don't answer this. Um, but uh, maybe we can have a few, uh, a few wild guesses from around the room. How much is a discharge grant worth? 47, 50. Anybody else? How much do you think would be reasonable for somebody? Think about it. You've just got out of prison. Um, you need to either get a job or you need to um, apply for benefits. If you're going to apply for benefits um, under universal credit, you've got to wait at least five weeks. There are hardship payments available, but they are discretionary, and so they're not always available. So how much money would you need for those first five weeks? Probably excluding rent, 
because that's likely to be sorted out through housing benefit or local housing allowance in a different way. But your, universe, your, your finances for five weeks, for travel, maybe for clothing, for food, for all of those sorts of expenses, how much would the average person need? For five weeks. We're getting figures of around 500. I asked this question in a school actually a few weeks ago and uh, one or two people started making that detailed budgets while others started quoting figures that their parents would have uh, been very shocked about. Um, your discharge grant is around £47. It's just under £47. And that money is designed to keep you going until you get your first benefit payment or your first paycheck. And we wonder why people sometimes choose to reoffend, to go back to custody, because life is easier inside. For the want of a meal, um, yesterday evening I was delivering some carrier bags of food um, late yesterday evening, um, and this young man actually hadn't eaten for over 24 hours. Um, food banks are doing an amazing job. Um, get connected with your local food bank um, if you are in any way involved in supporting work with ex-offenders. Um, look up acts435.org.uk. Um, that's a great project run from Bishop Thorpe Palace um, and, uh, and that was sort of set up with the blessing of Archbishop Santamu. Um, and that project um, aims to link donors with specific individual needs. Uh, so we sometimes use that system uh, where somebody needs some new clothing, um, you know, they're being released from custody, they've got no clothes, um, other than what they stand up in, we'll, we'll use that. Maybe someone's moving into their own property for the first time and they need a fridge to keep their food chilled. We'll go and get, we'll help them to buy a fridge from um, a recycling scheme or something similar, um, so we'll keep the cost low, but there still needs to be some funding for it. And Act 435 is a mechanism by which that can take place. You can register as an advocate, uh, and that allows you to post um, adverts on there for then other people to crowd, crowdfund that need. Not every prisoner is released with, um, with a discharge grant. Many are, but even for those who are, it's not really enough. The figure hasn't been re uh, reviewed for many, many years, uh, and so there's a real need at that point of, uh, of release from custody where the church can step in and where the church can step up um, to provide support in that area. I'd also recommend to you CAP. Um, many of the individuals that we work with actually uh, have got debt in, in many different ways. Um, sometimes it's spiralled through um, payday loans. Sometimes it's, it's simply mobile phones and credit cards. Um, but CAP, Step Chains, whole stack of debt charities um, who can provide support in that area. Okay, and just very quickly, prisoners' average reading age is similar to, to everyone else, or the national population. And actually, um, a startling statistic again in 2017 said that 50% were in the, of prisoners just in the UK were functionally illiterate, as in really struggled um, with reading and writing. And that's we, we can't go into it now, the reasons why. Um, but um, so about half have a reading age of 11 or lower. So that you can imagine all the, the complex issues that come with that as well. And um, 
most prisons are, have got some sort of program inside to help improve that, and that's so important. And has anyone heard of the Shannon Trust? Um, they do some incredible work in the prison that I worked in for those years. Um, we worked alongside the Shannon Trust. And they, they help people, they, they put to get people together with um, mentors, often peer mentors, who can, who can help them um, learn to read. And um, I just remember getting a letter from one person who said, I can now, thank you so much, I can now help my daughter with her homework, which to him just meant the world. He sent us a lovely letter. Um, but it's another consideration when we're thinking about looking after people who may be coming into our churches or if we're looking after people um, who are in prison. It's a, another big consideration, isn't it? Okay. Um, just a few considerations then, things to think about um, as a church. Um, God is calling each one of us to be involved in supporting ex-offenders. And not just to support that individual, but also to prevent further victims um, it's quite easy for, for me and my team actually to become quite focused on offenders and we have to remind ourselves that there are victims as well. Um, and actually it's the mandate of the whole community to be involved, I believe, in caring for people being released from custody and in preventing future victims. It's an area where the church can have a massive impact. There's a whole stack of factors involved in reducing reoffending. Um, you've heard about some of them from accommodation to finance benefits and debt, to drugs and alcohol, to health, including mental health. Um, there's a whole number of different factors. But actually, when people come to faith, we really see a big difference. Um, there hasn't yet been a study done on how faith brings the reoffending rate down. Um, but anecdotally, and what we see is that it definitely does. Um, the, the average... Um, Reoffending rate, as you heard from Sarah earlier, is 48%. That's across all age groups. Um, across those that, who we've linked with the church and they've stayed in church, um, you know, as in they've gone more than once, um, it's 14%. For those who go through our message enterprise centre and, and through the Oaks, the reoffending rate is less than 5%. So we know that the gospel makes a difference. We know that Jesus is part of the answer. There's a whole load of other stuff that makes a difference as well. But actually Jesus makes a massive difference. And so when somebody comes to faith, um, they need a place to belong. They need a place to be able to call home. And maybe that's your church. Maybe that's my church. Some things for us to think about. I'd really encourage you to liaise with the statutory services that are around. Um, for each person being released... Um, from custody, or for the vast majority, I should say, they will be under the care of the probation service. Um, the way a sentence works in, in this country, if you're given a two-year sentence, you will serve the first year in custody and the second year in the community under the supervision of the probation service. Um, I would encourage you to get in contact. Um, you know, If you've got a person who's coming to your church, get in contact with their probation officer, introduce yourself, um, tell them that you're, you're from this church and this individual um, is coming joining you. They can help you with risk, telling you what the individual's risk factors may be um, in order to prevent f um, further harm. But also scripture tells us not to cause somebody to stumble. And so we're not going to give an arsonist the job of lighting the candles. We're not going to give a fraudster the job of counting the offering. Um, because those things 
actually we can cause somebody to stumble. And so probation can help you with that. You may have also heard the expression CRCs. Uh, a few years ago, we had something called Transforming Rehabilitation, TR, um, which the, the government rolled out. And as part of that, um, a section of the, um, of the probation services was, um, was contracted out to private companies, um, known as community resettlement companies, or CRCs. Um, they provide a very similar function um, to the National Probation Service. Um, but deal with generally low to medium risk offenders, whereas probation deliver uh, work with higher, uh, the higher risk offenders or longer term um, prisoners. Uh, and so if you hear the, the phrase CRC, um, that's where that comes from. Um, it's also worth uh, building links with your um, prison chaplaincy. Um, prison chaplains do an amazing job. They are there day in, day out. Our workers tend to be in um, prison about three days a week. The rest of the time they are spending um, on the resettlement aspect of the job, but prison chaplains are there every day, um, caring for, supporting um, individuals who are going through all kinds of stuff. Life in prison is hard, especially when life is continuing on the out, especially when there's bereavements and, and that kind of thing. And prison chaplains do a phenomenal job in caring for those. But also they get to know people really well. Um, so build connections with them. They can help you to know what a person may need and help you um, with, with some of that sort of information. So link with the statutory services. Probation don't see you as a religious do-gooder the majority of the time. They see you as an asset. They see you as a pair of eyes and ears that can help support this individual and stop them reoffending because they know that community engagement is good. They don't necessarily know that Jesus is good, but they do know that being in community, being around positive role models, having a purpose, having a meaning to life, having a place to belong, are all really important things. And um, the government has identified those as being important factors in reducing reoffending. And we know that all of those are found in church. And so actually church makes a massive difference in this. I've already hinted um, at, at safeguarding uh, when I mentioned risk. Um, I think it's fair to say the statutory sector is fairly risk averse. They're scared of people making mistakes. Um, God doesn't make mistakes, but his people do, me included. Um, we have to try and manage risk because people do make mistakes and do get it wrong. Um, and so your safeguarding, um, depending on the nature of the offence, um, your, your safeguarding coordinator does need to be involved. Um, if it's a more serious offence um, of a violent or sexual nature, then it may be that there's extra safeguards need putting in place with maybe behaviour contracts, places that people can't go within the building and, and that sort of thing. Again, there's more information available um, on that. Circles of support and accountability um, provides a brilliant model for supporting higher risk offenders. Um, and uh, also the organisation formerly known as the Church's Child Protection Advisory Service, whose name escapes me. Um, I've got it on here, so I will double check it. 318. Um, 318 can provide lots of information as well um, regarding managing uh, risk factors. Um, so it is a consideration. Um, all of us pose risk whether we're a convicted offender or whether um, we've never been found guilty. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us 
is exempt from making mistakes and from getting it wrong. The fact that you have an ex-offender in your church simply, not, simply means that you know about it. The reality is that your church is full of offenders and ex-offenders. It's just that many of them haven't been convicted in a court of law. But still, we all fall under the grace of God. Thanks, Tim. So as well as being wise, as we need to be, and considering the risk, um, I'm going to just talk about a few things that came to mind um, when looking at the bigger picture of things. Not excusing criminal behaviour whatsoever, but just trying to understand a bit sometimes the the background, if you like, and, and why things happen, but also things that are really helpful um, for churches, for individuals, families to take into consideration if they're trying to support people. So um, it's a fact that a large number of um, offenders have had really difficult childhoods, sometimes have experienced trauma or abuse, and it does make it more likely that people are going to make poor choices later in life. Um, and that has a huge impact on what goes on. And so it's something as you're caring for people just to be um, mindful of and to help them find the, the correct support and the professional support if, if needed as well, rather than just assume we can do it all as church. Sometimes we have those professionals within church. Sometimes um, we've got people with the wisdom, medical experts, etc. Um, but if not, then do seek help. And that's fine. And a high rate of offenders who've got an issue with substance misuse, um, similar sort of principle, um, then, you know, don't try and do it all yourselves as church. But actually, um, if you don't have a full understanding, it's really wise to, to um, have some training. Um, locally, we're putting on that sort of training. It's really helpful. But also um, to refer to the appropriate people um, if needed. Um, one aspect of my last job was to support, like I said, um, people coming out of the gate, apart from they didn't come through the gate, they came through our centre, which is great, and we had uh, mobile phone charges, toast, um, places for family or friends or mentors or probation officers to, to meet them and that sort of thing, and, and packs to give out to help them just have the best start, really, that they could, which was wonderful. But we found, we also, with this court pilot, then saw people come um, from court into prison. And do you know what? Often we found that people were more scared of going out than they were coming in, which shocked me. But actually, inside, it's been needed to already. Um, you have a certain amount of security. Yes, it can be a dangerous place for some and, and really difficult. I'm not saying it's not, but actually you have a bed, you have warmth, you have um, meals, you have people there regularly looking out for you, you have your medication at a certain time. And you might have heard of the phrase of being institutionalised, but some people come out, like some people do from an army or something, where they're just so used to things happening at a set time, it's really difficult. And that's one of the most difficult, if you talk to people who come out of prison, that's one of the most difficult things sometimes not to have um, that routine. So just being mindful of that is really important. Um, I remember um, helping someone who'd been in for, had received a life sentence and had been, had been let out on parole and um, he was just like a rabbit in headlights. He didn't really, he'd heard of mobile phones but obviously didn't have one when he was convicted as a teenager. Um, this, the cars were scaring him. I had to walk into a taxi. The currency was different from when he was first um, put into prison. You think about all those things that have changed. So just again, that's just something to be mindful of.
And without getting political, I've witnessed countless issues with benefit system, which can be wonderful, and the government are seeking to improve it. But has anyone watched the film I, Daniel Blake? Oh my goodness, I watched it a few nights ago and it's really, really sad. I recommend it if, you, if you're in this sort of work, then do, do, um, do watch that, that film, um, but bring it to issue. It's really sad and a real eye-opener and um, I'm afraid it can be a reality. I know that's not everyone's story, but that is really difficult and, and um, Tim's already explained about the discharge grant. Um, it's, it makes things much more difficult, but as a church, if, again, if you understand that, then you can help support, especially in the early days. And often, often um, prisoners are um, encouraged on release, um, or even if they're not sent to prison but are, are in, the, in the system, encouraged to deliberately move away from peers who might be unhelpful, um, or friends or family who might be unhelpful. Um, now, again, that can be good, but like I said, that can cause problems in terms of if they're, if they're homeless and, and proving to the council they've got a local connection. Um, but also it can just be really lonely. So they might have made a wise decision or been forced to move out of an area, but then they're lonely. And I love this verse in Psalm 68:6. He places the lonely in family. That's what we see in our Oaks house. I love staying there because it really is family, isn't it? So he places the lonely in family and he leads out the prisoners with singing. So that's Psalm 68:6. Isn't that lovely? And um, I helped lead a church in Lincolnshire with the hat on. And um, at one point we were in congregations and two-thirds of our congregation um, were ex-offenders. And, um, they, and what, when they invited people in, because they did all the time, they used to say, come to my family. They didn't say, come to church, come to my family. And I absolutely loved that. And that just goes to show, you know, we, we, we loved and... Um, accepted people and yes we were wise and we did all these things that we needed to do to safeguard people um, but it was a safe place a place full of acceptance and challenge where needed don't get me wrong and, and they frequently challenged me too which is great um, but it was out of a place of love for each other which leads on nicely to the last point and then we're going to hear from a wonderful lady who's going to be interviewed and then question and answers and then we'll go so the care of the person who's been released, and we've, we've talked about it a bit already, but there's so much I can say, but I want to read again from the Bible. James 2, this is the message version, not as in the message trust version, <laughs> as in the message. Um, the royal rule of love. So for me, love sums it up. Um, my dear friends, don't let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ-originated faith. If a man enters your church wearing an expensive suit and a street person wearing rags comes in right after him and you say to the man in the suit, sit here, sir, this is the best seat in the house and either ignore the street person or say, better sit there in the back row. Haven't you segregated God's children and proved that you are judges who can't be trusted? Listen, dear friends, isn't it clear by now that God operates differently? He chooses the world's down and outs as the kingdom's first citizens with full rights and privileges. This kingdom isn't promised to anyone who loves God, and here you are abusing these same citizens. Isn't it the high and mighty who exploit you, who use the courts to rob you blind? Aren't they the ones who scorn the new name Christian used in your baptisms? You do well when you complete the royal rule of the scriptures. Love others as you love yourself. But if you play up to these so-called important people, you go against the rule and stand convicted by it. You can't pick and choose in these things, specialising in keeping one or two things in God's law and ignoring others. The same God who said don't commit adultery also said don't murder. If you don't commit adultery but go ahead and murder, do you think your non-adultery will cancel out your murder? No, you're a murder, period. 
Talk and act like a person expecting to be judged by the rule that sets us free. For if you refuse to act kindly, you can hardly expect to be treated kindly. Kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. So let's love the last, the least, and lost. And the very last thing I'll say is just to pray for people. Find people in your church who will pray and pray and pray. Again, just recently in a hub, we've seen amazing things happen because people have stood together and prayed. If you can find someone who might be maybe just uncomfortable about actually um, you know, working with, mentoring somebody in this situation, but will pray and you know, include them too and just say, please, we pray specifically. You might not be able to tell you all the issues, but pray for this person. Help them, um, you know, pray that they don't um, offend again. Pray for the issues surrounding it and pray for the church to be as welcoming as they can. But let's pray together, okay? I just want to, um, as we come into the end um, of the seminar, towards lunch time, I want to invite Ruth to come and join us um, uh, to just come and share um, some of her thoughts, really. Um, uh, and experiences with you. So uh, please welcome Ruth. Ruth, just uh, tell us um, a little bit of uh, a little bit about you and what you do. Uh, Ruth's part of the team at the Message, so uh, just tell us a bit of uh, of your role. Um, so I work at the Message Trust. I've been there for four years. I've got two roles. I work uh, Fleet Facilities Administrator. That's my manager Gary over there. Shout, <laughs> Gary. Um, and I work at the cafe as well, the events, uh, hospitality. Um, I've been at the message four years, which means I've been out of jail four years. Um, and I actually got the job from prison. I was in prison when I got the job. So I got rottled, which is released on temporary license to the message and um, eventually got released and they kept me on. So, so Ruth used to come out of prison uh, first thing in the morning after mm-hmm. breakfast. She'd come to the message, she'd work in our cafe, and at the end of the day, go back to jail. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that was sort of a regular pattern for, for a few months, wasn't it? Was, it was, yes. Um, prior to release. Um, you, know, you heard Ruth joined us four years ago, um, has graduated the Enterprise Centre programme. Um, and now he's part of uh, the kind of the wider work of the message. Yeah. And actually the work that Ruth does now enables me to do my job. Um, Ruth is now part of reaching other prisoners um, with, with the, the gospel. Um, but also you've, um, you've not really stayed away, have you, from prison? No, I haven't. Um, for those that are in prison, I'm still part. Of, I've got a show called We Are Straight Line on National Prison Radio. Um, so that goes out once a month. Uh, WeAreStraightLine.com, yeah? And um, Family and Friends Request Show, and I also go to the BBC in London once a month to do recording for National Prison Radio, um, which enables families to, you know, get requests over to the prisoners, basically, and vice versa for the first time in British history, prison history. So it's really good. It's exciting times. And Ruth has also been back in with uh, members of our team um, Mm. to share some of her testimony and her story. Um, of transformation. Yeah. So Ruth, just tell us very briefly um, about your journey of faith, would you, and the part that church has played since you got out. Okay, so just a bit like yourself, when I went to jail, my life was just pure chaos. Um, funnily enough, I, I ended up in prison the year after I graduated from uni in degree in criminology. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it, you know, life just gets in the way. Um, didn't have a relationship with Jesus or anything. Went to jail. I was a mess. First night, I ended up having this encounter. It was just unbelievable. Um, chaplain came over. I asked her to phone the hospital to see if my victim had survived. And she said, no, I can't do that. But I can pray for him. 
But she said, I can also pray for you. And I was like, why would you want to pray for me? You know, I'm in prison, I'm the bad one. Um, and she did, she prayed for both of us and our families. And then she asked me, did what a Bible? And I said, yeah. Flicking through it, screaming at God, saying this is absolutely you no know, rubbish. Why, 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 you know, blame, 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 blame. And then Matthew 11, 28, come to me, all you weary, you're burning now, I'll give you rest. And that was it, just folded, it was on the floor in a pile. Um, and I just kept going to the chapel. And then I met Natalie Stanton, who's, you know, part of Reflex. Um, and I was just asking loads of questions. I wanted to know more. I wanted to be, how can I have peace? How, you know, how can I have this? And not only that, everyone who, who I've seen in the chapel who was like a Christian had a relationship with God just seemed so happy and peaceful. You could just, they're just different. I can't explain it. And I thought, I want some of that. <laughs> so, yeah. And that was in Bible reading. I didn't go out on a social. I just locked myself off. Just got my head in that New Testament. That little book saved my life. Jesus saved and, my life. And, you know? and I think it's fair to say um, that, that since Ruth, Ruth got out, life hasn't always been easy. But, oh no. but actually, God has restored so much um, over yeah. the last few years, which is, which is really exciting. Mm. Ruth, just tell us very quickly, 30 seconds, the part that church has played in, in your sort of resettlement, I suppose. Meeting my pastor, looking for a church in my community, and get... The pastor came to meet me before I got out of prison. So I got a rattle to the church on the day release, which I think would be the best thing you can do because it's about building up those relationships within your community and you don't want to come from jail straight into a church where nobody knows you. Your pastor's never met you. You're just like, you walk through a door. It's like, you know, who are you sort of thing. Um, and I think that was key, really, for me to be, you know, resettled back into the community. But it also... It's shown something to my family as well and those around me. He was just like, there's no way Ruth's a you know, Bible basher. But going to church, it was just like, well, if she's going to church on a Sunday morning, she's not going into Manchester partying on a Saturday night. So something's changed, you know? Great. Thank you so much, Ruth, for, for sharing with there us. There you go. Okay, just um, in the last couple of minutes that we have then... Um, just an opportunity really for you to, to ask any questions. Anything we've covered today or not covered today, um, lunch is in, is in a couple of minutes. So um, any questions um, that folks may have? Um, there's a radio mic going to come round um, just uh, for the benefit of those who are listening uh, on a podcast. Um, so uh, anyone got any questions that they would like to ask us? Hiya, I was going to ask you at the end, but maybe everybody, I can just ask a question. I've got two questions really. Um, so the first one is that kind of, um, if you feel that kind of this is kind of like somewhere that you're being called to lead and to serve, then what are the kind of skills or experiences or things that you would, um, I don't know, kind of suggest or say kind of that you, to develop and stuff? And the second question is very differently is, how many um, ex-military veterans do you see come through? So those are my two questions. I, I think that uh, in answer to your first question, um, the, uh, the question around sort of qualification really, um, I think the only qualification uh, to do this work is love. You've got to be able to love people. You've got to be able to um, love somebody for who they are, not what a charge sheet says. Um, and uh, that can be a challenge sometimes, um, but I think that's the, the main qualification. In terms of sort of experience, uh, sort of work experience, like um, social work skills, uh, background in health, education, um, those sorts of things are all useful. Um, youth work, ministry, all of those skills are useful. Our outreach workers perform all of those roles. 
at different times. Um, counselling skills are useful, but actually the main qualification, I would say, is your ability to love. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, true. And so I've seen people in this line of work, um, secular and um, in this sort of role, where um, genuinely there's been people from so many different backgrounds and, and people who haven't really worked before, etc. But it's about, you know, we talk about character rather than gifting. It's slightly different, but actually it really is, are you called to this in a Christian setting? Are you, are you someone who's going to be able to do this? Because it's not... It really isn't for everybody. And so, you know, in an interview situation, an application form, that's what we'd look for more than anything else, isn't it? Is this, is this really your calling? And is this um, you as a person? Are you passionate about that? And do you think you'd be able to cope with the challenges as well? It's really important. Um, the, the veteran question, can you repeat that, please? Sorry, Becky. Did you say military vet veterans? Yeah, just through? through the, like, the proportion of kind of, yeah, what like, ex like military veterans do you see come through? Are you talking about in generally in prison or are you talking about with messages in prison, sorry? Well, both, really. Okay. Or it's, uh, yeah. I've come across a high percentage in, I can't give you the stat, but in, in, in the prison I worked in, and we had a specific work for that group of people, which was really important. Um, and, yeah, it's very important for so many different reasons. And, and people who were um, um, also struggling with PTSD and post-traumatic stress disorder, there was a particular work for that as well. Um, very, you know, really vital. And that's, that's through the message? Or that no, was that was in my last job. I don't know for messaging. Yeah, I mean, we, we see, we don't discriminate on who we work with. <laughs> um, anybody that wants to work with us, we'll work with them, um, veteran or otherwise. But yeah, we do see, um, you know, quite a number of military veterans um, who've uh, essentially come out of an institution. Um, they may have witnessed some horrendous things in their, their working life um, and actually they've been trained to kill um, and they've seen some horrible things. They then come out of that environment and civilian street is really difficult. And so making the adjustments does mean that some, you know, some of those individuals end up in custody, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, we, we do see some of that as well. Interestingly, sorry, last Sunday in the prison I was talking about, someone came to me and they wanted prayer because they said I was in the army and um, God told me in my cell last night that I'm part of his army now. And he, and he said that he, he's finding a routine in reading the Bible and doing certain things that's really helping him, which I found really interesting. Yeah. Any other questions? So yeah. the, the, the question just for the, for the podcast, uh, where does the money come from um, for the release grant? Um, that's government funded. Um, that, that, that would be taxpayer funded. Um, uh, but that, yeah, that, that, that money's given as well, aren't they? Yeah. Just briefly summarise um, again for yeah. the recording. Um, so the, the, the point being made really is that the release grant is paid in cash. And, and sometimes that actually would be more helpful if it was paid in the form of a travel warrant, which sometimes happens, yeah. but also potentially, you know, in the form of food vouchers would, yeah. would be useful um, to avoid the money being spent um, on less helpful things, uh, particularly if there, are, if there are other associates or family members still involved in criminal activity. But something for churches um, and organisations to consider, isn't it? Absolutely. It's, it's something yeah. for us to think about. So, 
So, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for making that point. Thank um, you, everybody. I'm aware of the time. Uh, it is now uh, lunchtime. Um, if anybody does have any questions um, about, uh, about prisons in, in general or, or any, any of the work we're involved in, if you're interested in getting involved uh, in volunteering with our work, um, then please do uh, come and speak to us. Uh, my colleague Joe, uh, who's one of our outreach workers, um, and Becky, um, another of our outreach workers, are, are both around as well. Do pick their brains. Do ask yeah. them. Ask them for stories of what God yeah. is up to. I love their stories. Because there are Seriously, so many stories um, of what God is doing in our prisons. Um, and other than that, do enjoy your lunch. And uh, you've hopefully all got a copy of your programme um, ready for uh, this afternoon's session. Uh, do enjoy the rest of the day and thank you for coming. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams. <laughs>